you please pray with me? And right there in your seat, would you just take a moment, just take a moment to thank Jesus and praise him for, for being not just a dead hope, a hope that died, but a living and real present hope right now. Heavenly Father, God, as we come to you, we're just, we're here for you this morning. We're here to worship you, to hear from your word. We're here to be together as a church family that's looking to you. God, God, we're here because of you and you alone. And so God, I pray that you would continue to meet with us here today. God, I'm asking that uh, for those here who are struggling, I pray you would meet us personally and individually and deal with the things that we are struggling with. God, I'm asking you would speak hope and peace into our hearts. God, for those of us who are wrestling with sin, God, I, I pray you would mercifully and kindly and clearly and directly, God, you would speak truth into our hearts that we'd repent of sin and find forgiveness in you. God, for those of us who are here and we're not struggling, we're not wrapped up in sin, we're celebrating, God, I pray that you would speak to us and we would hear about the living hope and it would make our hearts more and more joyful. God, what we want is we want to hear from you and we want you and you alone to work in our midst. So I pray you would give us all ears to hear. God, I pray you would help me to teach by, by your power and not my own. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Listen, as I'm looking out right now, I, gotta, I just gotta tell you, I am so proud of all of you today. You two online, sorry, but time changed. Y'all just got up and went to your couch and got a cup of coffee. I, not mad at you, I'm just saying, you, those of you who are here, so proud of you for showing up. Time change Sunday, like whether you remember to set your alarm or your phone did it all by itself. Go team, go. Proud of you guys for being here. Uh, it's also spring break week, so it's a, it's a big deal for y'all to be here. So I just wanna tell y'all, I'm glad you're here. It's, there's more of you than I was expecting, I gotta be honest. I'm not, I'm not supposed to say that out loud, but you always brace yourself for time change Sunday. Like in the fall, it's great because you'll all show up an hour early and I'll be like, man, that worked out great for me. But, but now this is, this is the tough one. And for those of you who have kids, woo, it's even a little bit rougher in the morning. So proud of the young parents that made it here this morning as well. Uh, let me just make a quick announcement. You should have gotten a bulletin as you came in. That's telling you all the stuff that we have going on. We are ramping up for Easter right now. And just to be quite frank, we, we need your help to pull off all the things that we believe God is calling us to do, whether that's the Easter egg hunt or that dinner on Thursday night or the prayer time on Friday or the, the sunrise service. I mean, I'm getting tired just thinking about it, but I, listen, I'm actually really excited about all the things that we have planned. And if you haven't looked at that schedule and seen where God's calling you to serve, I wanna encourage you to check that out and see where he would have you engage. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be continuing our sermon series in Matthew chapter 21. If you would open up over there, um, let me just tell you, as we look at Matthew chapter 21, man, I liked last week. I, I don't know how y'all felt about it, but I really enjoyed last week looking at Jesus coming into town. And we, we learned last week in Matthew chapter 21 that he's coming into town as a king. Like, and, and he's showing up as a king that doesn't meet the expectations of the people of Israel. They want a king to roll in and be a warrior. They want him to make Israel strong and great and powerful. They want him to deal with all the oppression of the Romans and kick them out. And, and they've got this expectation of 
Jesus that doesn't match the reality of who he is. What they believe doesn't line up with who he is and what he said and what he wants to do. And, and there's this conflict coming because he's showing up. Yes, he wants to deal with oppression. Yes, he wants to make his people into a nation. But he has something bigger than that, a bigger thing that he wants to do. And he's showing up as a king who offers peace. He wants peace and restoration. He wants to fix what's broken like he, he, he doesn't just want Israel to be great. He wants all the people, Jewish and Gentile, to be wrapped into his people, his one people, holy, clean, and holy his. They, he wants them to be part of his family. And so he's showing up doing something way bigger than just making Israel great again or dealing with Roman oppression. He's showing up dealing with eternity and hearts and souls. He's inviting people in who have never been allowed to be a part. And he's showing up and quite frankly, it's causing this collision course with the people of Israel. It's causing this fight that's about to happen. I mean, he, he shows up into town and the first thing he does is the crowds are all excited about it, him coming into town. He goes right to the temple and he starts flipping tables, throwing chairs and kicking people out of that like foyer area is how I'll describe it, right? The, the area where the Gentiles were allowed and he gave them access he, he removed all distraction and hurdles from these people getting to worship God. Like it was a big deal. It was clear and it was direct. Now, here's the problem. The Jews thought they were doing it right. Like, can I just be honest? That They weren't sitting there looking at it saying, you know what would be the worst thing we could ever do? Let's make it really easy for people to worship. Let's get the cattle in here and the sheep in here and the doves in here. Let's get the money changers in here. Let's make it really easy and really convenient. That's not what the Jews were doing. The Jews were saying, listen, we want to do what's right. We're not trying to do what's wrong. Our intent is to do what is right. And then Jesus shows up into town and says, that don't work. You ever had that moment where all of a sudden you feel like you, you've been trying to do things right your whole life and all of a sudden this light flips on and you're like, wait a second, what if I'm not doing this right? Y'all had that moment? Parents, you ever had that moment with your kids where you're sitting there saying, oh man, did I just, <sighs> have, have, I, have I wrecked the whole thing? You had that moment in your marriage? Where you've been like, what? Like I thought I was doing it right, and if I'm afraid this is all about to crumble, you, maybe it wasn't with kids and marriage. Maybe it was just regular life. You were going along in life, and all of a sudden, this speed bump hit, and you had this pause where you said, "What if I'm doing this all wrong?" That's that's kind of a rough experience, isn't it? It's not fun. It's not settling. It doesn't make you feel calm and great about yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus has done to the Jews again. I want you to see how they respond. Because, listen, he's not doing it like he's just a, a guy passing through. He's doing this like he's in charge. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. So next day, he's rolling into town, going back to the temple. He's going back to the scene of the crime, if we were to say it that way. Verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. So, so here he is. He's got this group. He's teaching, and they just walk in right in the middle of it and say, hey, we got a few questions for you about yesterday. Like, it's a little bit disruptive, but, but listen, they're mad. They're upset. They want to know, they want to know this. Who do you think you are? What gives you the right to do what you did yesterday? Like, 
What's going on with you, man? Like, you can't just walk in here like you're in charge. That's the accusation. So here's what they say. They come up to him and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? What gives you the right? I don't know if you've ever said that to someone. It, if you've ever watched The Office, there's this moment in The Office. Uh, so I don't know where my brain goes here. I don't know if you remember this. Michael Scott is going to have a confrontation with, with Toby, the HR guy. But then this girl that he likes is in the room with him. If you haven't seen it, and he's got it written out. And he's, he's trying to say, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? But he's trying to say it nice in front of this, his girlfriend. So he goes, who do you think you are? Like he says it is really nice. That is not what's happening here. For those of you who don't know The Office, just laugh and move on. If you do, we're great. But here's what's happening. So he shows up in here and they're not being nice about this. There's, there's no like trying to pretend like we like what you did. There's nothing. It is all straight, direct, harsh rhetoric. It's going to have tough tones. They're coming in and saying, what, what do you think you're doing? You show up in here a second day after you did what you did yesterday. What gives you the right? Who gave you the authority to do what you did yesterday? Now, now listen, uh, they are basically emphatically saying, we know you don't like what we're doing, but we don't care what you think. That's what they just said. They just said that to him. They said, what gives you the right? And here's what's really difficult about that. For three years, he's been doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in front of him. The day before, there was just a line of people who were crippled and blind and sick. And they saw him healing them one after another, after another, after another. They saw it with their own two eyes. And then they have the audacity to walk into that room where Jesus is teaching, into that courtyard and say, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? As if he hasn't clearly demonstrated it for three years straight. What's these guys' problem? Do you ever wonder that? That's what I'm wondering. As I'm looking at this, I'm saying, what is their problem? And I want you to see how Jesus, the king, is about to interact with people whose hearts are hard and stubborn and they're going to blame everyone else but themselves. Like, listen, it can, it's very easily a sign of a hard heart to say a few things to Jesus. You can say, I think you were too harsh. I don't like the way you approach that. You haven't been clear enough. Right? You ever had that moment? I don't understand. You weren't clear. But here's the deal. Jesus is saying very emphatically, I have been clear I have been patient. I've given you everything that you need and it doesn't matter what I say or how I say it. It doesn't matter how many miracles I do in front of you. It doesn't matter how many hugs I give you or how many tables I flip over. Doesn't matter what I do. You will never receive it and you'll always blame me saying I didn't do it the right way. Listen, a hard heart skips past the truth of whether or not they need to repent and go straight to accusation about the way the person said it and what they said. They blame it on someone else. You weren't clear enough. You weren't nice enough. You weren't patient enough. You weren't giving me the time I needed to figure out what you want. Jesus, you're going too quick. It's only been three years. Like we've been doing this for hundreds of years. Why are you going so fast? Can't you be patient with us? And here he is, and look at how he, what he does. He's not going to give them an answer to the question, but, but what, here's what I love. He does this thing where he's giving them another chance. Look at verse 24. 
He says this, Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things, even though he's already been clear about it. Okay, fine. I'll answer that question. I need you to answer this. And if you answer this question, then I'll answer your question. Now, now you may be tempted to think that Jesus is playing games here, and that's exactly what they're going to think he's doing. But I want to show you something here. He asked this question. The baptism of John, John the Baptist. All my church people, you know who John the Baptist is, right? Crazy dude out in the woods or out in the wilderness wearing camel hair, eating locusts and honey, just a wild man for God. He's out there saying the Messiah's coming. You better get ready. He's coming. Don't be playing games. Don't pretend he's coming. You better get ready. And people are flocking out to John. No miracles, none, zero Zilch recorded miracles of John the Baptist. Apart from as a baby, he did some little somersault. Don't even know what to do with all that. All right, like, but there's no miracles. Jesus, tons of miracles. Like he's super clean and pristine. Like he's crazy religious. And he's calling people to repent left and right. And the people are flocking him saying, just the way he teaches, it's clear that he's from God. Everybody knows it. And Jesus says, John, his baptism, that baptism of repentance that he did. He says this, uh, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? I just, I just want to know, here's my one question from you. The baptism of John, was that from God or was that man-made? Well, was God doing a work through John or was John doing a work through John? Was that God at work or the charisma of a man in the wilderness? What was it? Now listen, that, that feels like a simple question. But, but here's what happens very quickly with these guys. Look at this discussion they get in. And they discussed it among themselves. We're back in verse 25. And if we say, here's their thing, that you can see them huddling up, which is really weird. Like, I don't know what I'd do if I was in a discussion. Like, hold on, let me talk about this. And they're, they're over here in the huddle saying, listen, we got this problem. That's really a tough question for us. They're huddling in front of everyone. They're saying, like they should have to even discuss this. This is not a tricky question, you guys. From God or from man? And they're like, uh, there's that pause, that huddle. They're talking about themselves and they say, look at what they're concerned about. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? He, John clearly has been saying the Messiah is coming. He even said that Jesus was the Messiah. Listen, if they'll just say that John was from God, they're one step away from accepting Jesus. But, but their concern is this. Listen, here's what they're not. They're not concerned if John was from God or not. They're concerned about what Jesus will say to them if they answer the question wrong. Do you, you see that? The religious leaders who all they talk about is trying to please God the way they dress, the way they eat. They're over the temple to make sure that everything is pleasing to God. They're mad at Jesus because he cleaned the temple and they're accusing him saying, God didn't tell you to do this. He gave us the authority. We're the ones making sure we're trying to please God. And they don't, they're not having a discussion about whether or not John was from God. They're having a discussion about, man, I think he's setting me up for a trap. Because if I say that he's from God, they're going to ask this question. Well, why don't you believe him? You see how backwards that is? How, how insane, like literally, they, they're feeling the noose tighten around their neck. They're feeling it. 
They're feeling the walls close in, the panic. They're backing up saying, oh man, he's, he's going after the worst thing possible, public exposure. Because <sighs> look at the next one. Well, we, if, he's, if we say yes, then he's going to get us because we didn't really believe him. <laughs> we didn't obey him. We didn't like him. We didn't like what he had to say. But if we say from man, this is verse 26, we're afraid of the crowd. For they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know. Jesus is like, well, I'm, if you don't know that, I'm not going to answer your question. Now, now here's the deal. Here's what I want you to see. What I want you to see is that this felt like a trap to these guys, but it wasn't a trap for anyone else in the room. If Jesus asked anyone else in that crowd, John the Baptist, from God or from man, they had no problem. They weren't trapped. This question was not a trap. This question was an exposing question because what's at stake for the Pharisees and the religious leaders is not um, the answer to this question. What's at stake is the hardness of their hearts, their refusal to actually want to know and obey God. That, that's what's happening. And when Jesus asked that question, it feels like a trap because they don't care what God says. They just don't. You, you can't tell it. It doesn't look that way. They don't act that way. But ultimately what Jesus is exposing is you don't care if God spoke through a person. You just care if you're comfortable, if you're respected, and if you're in charge. Man, Jesus is being a little bit aggressive here. I like it, but I'm asking this question. Like I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find out what's really going on with these Pharisees. And, and here's why I jumped ahead. I skipped a whole lot of verses in Matthew chapter 21. Like uh, last week we ended in verse 17 and this week I'm starting in verse 23. I wanna go back because Jesus does something before this conversation. And these two conversations are one. He flips tables, they get upset. Then they ask him, who do you think you are? And he has this question. And in between that, those two stories is just one thing that Jesus does that is explaining the whole thing. All right. So he's acting like a, it's very prophetic of God. Let me flip back to verse 18. I want you to see kind of what Jesus is doing here. And here's why this is important. God always does the, in Old Testament times, he did these symbols that would be this, like he's going to do this action through a prophet and it's going to say, Hey, this is a story. This is, tells you where you're at. And that's what he's doing in verse 18. He says this, this is just before he gets in a fight. He's cleaned the temple out the next morning as he's on his way into the temple to get in a fight with the, the Jews. Here's what happens. Verse 18, in the morning he was returning to the city and he became hungry because apparently he skipped breakfast and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went into it and he found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, now listen, if I just jumped into that, we'd be like, what? Like, all right, so here's Jesus. He skips breakfast, no Pop-Tarts, no cereal, no fried eggs. No, he just, no hummus, whatever they were eating at that time. He's rolling into town. He sees a fig tree and he goes over to that thing and he's looking for figs and, and he just, there's no figs. You know what? Go ahead and die tree. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Like what's, doesn't that seem a little cranky? 
Like when I read that, I'm initially thinking, okay, I don't know if Jesus is hangry right now. Y'all know hangry? My, my kids get hangry. I get hangry. You haven't eaten. You're a little, you get mad and short-tempered. And, and here he is. Does he have low blood sugar? Like, so now he gets upset because there's not fruit on this fig tree. Boom, he strikes it dead. And to make things even more confusing, in the Mark chapter 11, we get more details that say this. He goes up to the fig tree and it wasn't even the season for figs. Now he looks unreasonable. That Jesus walks up to a fig tree, it's not fig season, and says, no figs, be dead. And it just, it just shrivels up and dies. Like, does that sound like Jesus to you? Like, it confused me. I mean, think about this. Here's Jesus three years ago. He starts his earthly ministry by going out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what was the very first temptation after not eating for over a month? Will you turn stones to bread? He says, no. (laughs) So that same Jesus that won't turn stones to bread after not eating for a month shows up to a fig tree that's not even fig season, doesn't see any figs, and he strikes it dead. Is that baffling? What is he doing here? Is he just upset because he doesn't have breakfast? No, listen, there's a point that Jesus is trying to make. There's something that's happening. It was confusing for me. I was like, listen, I don't get this. I just feel like he's showing up and saying, when I want figs, there better be figs or everyone's going to die. Like, is, is that what he's doing? Is he just in a bad mood because the Jews ticked him off yesterday? Like, no, listen, there's something he's doing. So I had to do a little research. I, I don't know fig trees. Can I be honest? Any fig farmers here? Is that even what you call them? Uh, fig Newton fans. All right, I got two. <laughs> no, that was more much. You raise your hand. Good job. Listen, I don't know figs. I don't know, I don't know how to grow figs. It's crazy because my uncle came and visited from the Middle East. You know what he brought me as a housewarming gift? Fig tree. <laughs> Dying in my front yard. Going to be honest with you. I can't grow figs. I don't know what to do. But when I saw this story, I was like, I guess I should figure out how to grow figs. And started researching the life cycle of a fig tree. And here's what I found out. Um, when it says it wasn't the season for figs, what Mark meant is it wasn't the season for ripe figs. It wasn't the time to pick them because they weren't ripe. And here's the way fig trees work. They get fruit first and then leaves. So if you see a fig tree with a ton of leaves, you should be going up to it expecting to see a whole bunch of fruit. It may not be ripe yet because it's not the time for the figs, but figs fruit before they leaf. All right? So here's what's going on with Jesus. He's coming into town and he sees this fig tree and it's got leaves all over it. And here's what that should be signaling to you. If it has that many leaves, it's that big and that mature of a tree, it should be jam-packed with fruit. It may not be ripe, but it's good enough for a snack. That tree looks like it should have a ton of fruit. If it didn't have leaves, he wouldn't even go look. But it's got leaves. It's got the image of everything that screams, this tree should have fruit. He walks up to look closer to get a snack. And when he wants a snack and he sees a tree that says, I should have snacks, and it doesn't have it, he curses the fig tree dead. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He just went into the temple and cleaned house. 
He's about to fight with the Jews and it's about to get real nasty in the coming weeks of what, what he's about to say. And here's the issue that Jesus has. He's saying, Israel, you're just like that fig tree. You got leaves. You look good. You look like you want to obey God. You look like you should have fruit because that's the purpose of a fig tree. But it's all show and no substance. It's all image and no fruit. You're all leaves. You look good, but you aren't good. Man, we just need to think about it. Can we just hit pause for a moment? We've got a bunch of church people. Proud of you for showing up on um, whatever day it is, time change Sunday. You look good. The, the, the question is not how the appearances are. The question is where's the fruit? That's the point. The point for God is that he's showing up and he's saying, I'm here at Israel right now and I'm making an offer. I'm showing up to bring you into myself and you look really, really good, but I don't care about your appearances. I want fruit. He's the king. He gets to, he gets to have that expectation and that demand. He, his demand is that his trees should produce fruit. He doesn't want leaves. He doesn't want the tree looking healthy. He wants it actually being healthy. And that lack of fruit, when Jesus shows up, says something about that tree. It looks good, but it is no good on the inside. We don't know why it wasn't doing fruit, but it doesn't matter. The point was it wasn't producing fruit. Man, as I read that, I just start asking myself this question. It raises these questions for me. Like, first of all, what what type of fruit is Jesus expecting in our lives? Because the point is this, real faith is supposed to produce fruit in your life. I, I don't want to give a thorough list, but you can write these down. Galatians 5.16, I know this one, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Man, that was a pop quiz I should have written down, right? What, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Uh, I'm not going to do it again, right? It's, it's these things, these inner workings, the, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that true faith should be producing in your life is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It should be doing that. And the point is one day Jesus will show up and he will look at your life and he's saying, I don't care if you have leaves. I want to know if you got fruit. Do you? Is, I'm not saying you've got it perfectly. Is Jesus doing a work that he's producing this in us? That's a tough question. That'll make you sweat. Well, at least make me nervous. It should be producing more love for other people, right? Here's another thing I think it should be producing. True faith should be producing, and it says this way in different ways, but it should be producing repentance and less sin, Right? true faith in your life should be producing this thing that when you see sin in your life, it's producing more repentance, not less repentance. It should produce less sin, not more sin. Now listen, if Jesus can't help you beat sin in your life, are we playing some kind of game here? After walking just for 20 or 30 years, it should be killing sin in us. You should repent faster 
Now, it shouldn't take you longer to repent when you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. It should be quicker. You should repent quickly and you should see him killing sin in you. And listen, I'm not saying because you struggle with a sin that Jesus isn't at work in you. I'm saying there should be some dying of sin happening in your life as a result of Jesus. It raises these concerns for me, for, for us as a church and for us as individuals. Here's my concern for you. I, my concern is that we would see things like leaves and fruit and we would confuse the two. Like, like here's the deal. Some people confuse the leaves with fruit. That's legalism. They, they confuse it. Let me give you some examples. Like, so for the Pharisees, all the leaves, they were saying, God, we've got fruit. Look at this. Look at our diet. Look at our dress. Look at our performance. Look at our tithing. And he's saying, I don't see love. I don't see mercy. I don't see justice. That's the fruit. Not, not leaves. I don't need the leaves. I want, the, I want both. I want leaves and fruit. I want a full and healthy tree. And legalism confuses those two. Legalism sees church attendance, the leaf, and thinks it's the fruit. It, that, that's the difference. The fruit is not regular attendance. The fruit is a love and deep relationships in the church. And you can show the leaves all your life and never know anyone or be known in the church. And that means you have a lot of leaves and no fruit. That the fruit is love. Right? I get concerned about that. The, the leaves would be a legalist. I'm, I'm, I know I'm using harsh terms. Just stay with me. The leaves is reading your Bible every day. The fruit is knowing God and worshiping and loving and obeying him more. Not just reading about him, loving him. Right? Come on now. Like, do you want to be leafy or fruity? <laughs> just just came out. I don't know. I should have. Don't be a youth pastor. Okay. Sorry. Moving on. Listen, the, the leaves are that you're sad about your sin. The fruit is that you repent of your sin. Since church, I, I get concerned. I, I get concerned. Here's what I want for you. One day you will stand before Jesus. I will stand before Jesus. Don't confuse leaves and fruit. Don't let legalism suck you into this and sit there and say, okay, I, I got my performance up to speed. No, no, listen, you need to have the fruit. You, you got to, because I'm telling you, King Jesus doesn't want to see a bunch of leaves without fruit. He wants fruit. And when he shows up, he's expecting to see it. I also get concerned. I mean, it's easy to go off on legalist. That's my, that's my I can just, boom, I can do that one. How about I... Take another group in here. I get really concerned about another form of Christianity. Uh, I'm going to call it Southern Christianity, but it, it has many forms. Uh, this form right here, they got no fruit and they got no leaves and they don't seem to care about it. Like, listen, a tree without fruit is a concern. A tree without fruit and without leaves is dead. I hope you hear that. Like, here's what, here's what I need to say. That I can do the same examples I just gave. Like, listen, Jesus doesn't want just church attendance. But good grief, man, there's Southern Christians and Tallahassee is packed with them. They grew up in church. They got baptized in church. They know all the lingo. But, man, they will never, ever come to church. 
that you're not going to have deep relationships in the church and not even be here. Can we just be honest? You don't see, some people don't even seem concerned about it. Listen, if he's not good with a fruitless tree, he sure ain't good with a leafless and a fruitless tree. I'm not telling you to get more leaves. I'm just saying, listen, if you're completely dead, don't patch it up and say, Jesus doesn't care about my performance. He only cares about my heart. Well, if your heart ain't producing fruit or leaves, you got a problem, right? Do you see that? So man, listen, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm deeply concerned. I'm deeply concerned that there's some people that will show up at Easter and Christmas or even once a month and listen, there's no leaves, there's no fruit, there's no nothing, and they think they're okay, and they're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, you're a dead tree. I, I get concerned about our church as a whole, not just us as individuals. Listen, Jesus expects his church to produce fruit. It's not enough for us to survive. Church, let me say that. It's not enough for us to survive COVID and revitalization. That's not enough just to survive. It's not enough for a church to maintain programs and get leaves on the tree. That's not enough. He wants his church to be fruitful. Listen, that means that as a church, we're supposed to be equipping you for the work of the ministry. That means we should be reaching people in Tallahassee with the good news of Jesus. Church, we can't just survive. Jesus wants his church to be fruitful. He doesn't want a bunch of activity without fruit. He wants fruit. And sometimes the church can get so wrapped up on, listen, we, we need bigger budgets. We need more seats. We need more programs. I'm not saying those things aren't valuable, but that's a leaf. That's not fruit. And you can literally fill up the schedule and fill up the seats and get a bigger budget and not see any real fruit. Jesus wants fruit. Listen, let me show you another parable here that uh, stood out to me. Luke chapter 13. It's another parable about a fig tree. It, this is Jesus. This is before he comes in. He's done another story. Look at this parable real quick of Jesus in Luke chapter 13. He says this, and he told this parable, a man had a fig tree. See how I got to it there? Fig tree. That's just a Google search. It's amazing. Man had a fig tree and planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. So what are we going to do if there's no fruit? Look at, what, look at how this man who's over it says, verse 7, he said to the vine dresser, look, man, for three years now, I've been seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? <laughs> Like, okay, now you may not feel too bad about like, okay, get, the, get rid of the fig tree, get a new one. That, that feels emotionally disconnected. But can I connect it to our previous conversation? Let me connect to a church. Hey, church, the king shows up and he's looking for fruit and he's gonna say, how many years am I gonna show up at that church and not find fruit? Cut it down and put another one in its place that'll actually get the job done. Listen, I gotta be honest. I, I don't want him to cut this tree down. But he's not gonna sit forever and say, how many decades before you produce fruit? I'm not trying to, I don't want him to be a harsh master, but I want you to see he's a king with an expectation and he's not lowering it. 
And I get really nervous if I apply it to personal lives. How many years should you sit in a church pew and your heart is cold and distant from him and unloving towards those next to you and unrepentant of sin? How long before he says, you know what, that, that tree just ain't going to do it. Cut it down. Church, it, it makes me nervous. And look at how the vine dresser responds. He answered him. This is verse 8. Sir, just leave it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure, fertilizer, okay? <laughs> My kids would be snickering right now. What's manure, dad? It's poop. Okay, so snicker and move on, middle school guys. Verse 9. Then, it should bear, then if it should be bear fruit next year, good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now listen, he's not just showing up saying, hey, give me fruit or I'm cutting you down. He's like, okay, listen, I'm giving you time. I'm going to give you care. We need, to, we need to give you what you need. We need to dig up the ground and pull out the weeds and fertilize it and give you what you need. But at some point, it's got to produce fruit. Listen, he's patient and he's kind and he's merciful, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have expectations. Whew. Now y'all are probably sitting there going, man, I'm really nervous right now because what's going on in your head and in mine is, well, how do we get fruit? Like if he demands fruit, man, I better get to work right now. I hope that's not, that might be what's going on in your head. I got an answer for you because that's the question that I got to. Like, man, I, he wants fruit. He demands it. Like we better do it. I'm just going to do, I'm going to go. Like, what do I got to do to produce fruit? Let me show you one other passage. John. Chapter 15. This is huge. This is after, this is the night before he's about to get uh, crucified. He's about to be betrayed. He's walking to the garden of Gethsemane. And here's what he says in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide, rest, trust, connect, whatever, however you want to understand that word. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Listen, this is awesome. This is really, really good news, all right? He's saying, listen, the way a branch produces fruit is that it stays connected to the trunk and the trunk gives it life. The trunk makes it produce fruit. But if it disconnects from the trunk, if a branch says, I got this, I'm going to make you proud of me. I'm going to go get to work and I'm going to produce fruit. That branch will never produce fruit. It must get its life and energy and power and fruit from the trunk. Listen, here's, here's why that's good news to me. The trunk is Jesus. It's his gospel work. The way we produce fruit is we connect to him and depend on him and get life in him. You don't just get to work on your own. Listen, there, there's more here. He says this, verse five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, here's what I want you to hear. Jesus demands fruit and you can't do it on your own. When he rolled into town for Israel, he was saying, I expect fruit. And they didn't produce it. So that tree was about to get cut down. But here's what else he did. He went to the cross and he died on the cross and paid the penalty for all the stubbornness and fruitlessness of those people. And he came back to life three days later and here's what he promises us. He says, listen, I expect fruit, but I've got everything you need to meet my expectation. Me, I've got it. You come to me and I'll give it to you. Listen, you trust in me, you rest in me, I'll make it happen in you. I'll forgive it, all your sins and mistakes. I'll grab onto you and hold onto you. I'll make you my son or my daughter and fruit will start coming out of your life. I will change your heart. I'll give you the spirit. I'll make you clean and I'll produce fruit. And when I show up looking for it, you'll have it because you're in me. Church, don't, don't shift into a legalistic mode or a performance mode. Don't go to legalism that says the leaves are the fruit. Don't go to performances. I'm going to get to work and do this on my own because neither one of those will make the king happy. There's one way to make him happy. You abide in him. And when you abide in him, he produces fruit. So here's my question. Is there fruit in your life? Like real fruit, not leaves, real fruit. And if there's not, I want you to run to the vine. <laughs> and I want you to run to Jesus and latch on to him. And he'll literally give you everything you need to produce fruit. Don't go do it on your own. For some of you, man, this is all kind of new for you. You've been religious. You never, does. you need to hear this. He came not just because he wanted fruit. He wanted fruitless branches like you and me. All right, I, I, maybe I'm pushing this illustration too far for you, but he didn't just come because he wanted fruit. He saw dead trees and said, I'm gonna make those dead things alive. Listen, he wants you. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, the way you become a living tree is you trust in him. If you've never entered into that relationship, that's the very first step. But for some of you, you've been religious your whole life and it's time to connect to the vine. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? You're gonna walk us through a time of response. Church, I'm going to go a little old school on you here, but I, I, I need you to hear it. You don't know how much time you have until the king shows up looking for fruit. Listen, some of you, you've been stalling, you've been playing games. There's been no fruit in your life. And Jesus is calling you saying, listen, I've been here over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, I want a relationship with you. But if you don't do it, there's going to be consequences. Don't harden your heart anymore. Right now, today, in your seat, would you just repent of that stubbornness? Don't be like those Pharisees. Just repent and say, okay, I haven't. And Jesus, I'm trusting in you and asking you to change my heart. I'm asking you to make me fruitful. Don't, don't dig your heels in. Because he's coming back. And he ain't lowering the expectation because it wasn't at the time you wanted or the way you wanted Listen, for some of you, you've, 
you've been in church your whole life and you've been working super hard and you've changed leaves into fruit. You're convinced that the performance is the fruit he's looking for. And it's not love, it's not joy, it's not peace, it's not patience, it's not kindness, not gentleness, not faithfulness, it's not self-control, it's everything else but that. Listen, I want you to repent of counting leaves as fruit and just say, Jesus, I, I want fruit. Do a real work in me. For, for some of you, um, God may be doing a different thing in you. Um, you actually see some fruit happening. Like it, it may be just little, like it's a tiny little bud, but there's a little bit of faith and a little bit of love a little bit of joy and a little bit of peace and it feels fragile and tender. Listen, listen, don't freak out because it's just a little bit of fruit. Celebrate the fact that that fruit is only there because Jesus is at work in you and go to him for more. Listen, I also would ask right there in your seat, would you pray for us as a church body and family? Would you pray for God to make us fruitful and not leafy? Heavenly Father, God, there's probably a million things that are going on in people's hearts right now. And I pray for us, for every man and woman and child in this room that we would be a people. God, I'm praying that you would make us a people that would really see you at work in us and we would see you work powerfully and strongly and that you would cause fruit. And when we would see the fruit, God, I pray that we would praise you for it and we'd celebrate and we'd be grateful. God, protect us from performance and legalism. Make us a people who abide in you and see you produce fruit. And God, I know that'll be work and it's exhausting and it's slow, but God, I'm asking that you would do that in us as individuals and us as a church family. God, when you show up, we want to we wanna have fruit for you, our King. God, help us to do that. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.